It is the final word cricket podcast, season 13, episode 6. It is the 9th of November, Wednesday, the 9th of November, 2022. And we are sat in the commentary box at Adelaide Oval. Adam Collins with you, Jeff Lemon with me. We've yes. already said that, sat again, why not? Jeff, we've got Daniel Bredig with us, who is the cricket correspondent for yep. the Age newspaper in Melbourne. And uh, we're in a commentary box, so this is Bredig in a box once again. It is, as it was in <laughs> Sri Lanka earlier this year. We haven't had Dan on for a few months, but he's been... A busy boy. This is your home ground, Daniel. You've told me about coming here as a little boy with your old man and, and watching Australia play. It must be, even though it looks very different these days, be nice to, to come back ahead of a, a world semi-final tomorrow between India and England. It's fabulous. Always fabulous to be here. Yeah, the first test match I ever watched here was sitting down there on what used to be the old concourse seats under the old Sir Donald Bradman yep, stand, yep. watching Mike Gatting make his last Test 100 ah, in yes. his penultimate Test match. That was my first day of Test cricket here. So you missed out on the Greg Blewett 100 by... By a day, the, by this much, by a day, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a uh, it was a pretty um, uh, amazing test match that one. But of course, uh, being an Adelaide local, I only got to see uh, two hours of the day's play each day on, <laughs> on, on Channel Nine. The rest was ABC Radio. We've got quite a bit to get through on the show today with Jeff and myself. There's a number of squads that have been named. The WBBL's been ticking over. The Sheffield Shield, the IPL's changing mm-hmm. up again. The catching up of everything because we we couldn't do a weekly last week. We were just no. too swamped with daily show stuff. So apologies. I was too if, sick. If you were hanging out for it, um, yeah, Adam basically couldn't speak, and it has been. <laughs> living on a diet of herbal teas and whatnot for yeah. the last couple of weeks and it just became impossible to do so we've got to catch up with all that stuff it'll be a very australian focused show as today. it should be given we're in like the australian bit of the year yep. you know like we're very english focused through the middle of the year yep. and that, that was season 12 now season 13 technically is the australian season as far oh. as final word is concerned so it's, it's only fitting although we will go around the grounds a bit wider as we tend to do when we stray but yes um daniel we thought we'd get you off the top before you got to go off and, and do your next thing so you've been watching training at the back today and um you were telling me an anecdote before about um the indian side who are in preparation for their semi-final and surya kumar yadav who's i was going to say overnight sensation at age 32 but um yes the number one player in the world right now he's kind of the uh, the mike hussey of his era the uh, yeah. you know, come in, comes in mature age and uh, has not only has all the shots but has the attitude to match and uh, yeah we we spoke to Rohit Sharma not so long ago always enjoy listening to Rohit it's very considered in his answers and um, yeah I asked him about Surya Kumar and and why is he so fearless how is he so fearless and he said that he's uh, he's just one of those guys who doesn't carry baggage around metaphorically but he carries a lot of physical baggage around because he loves shopping um, <laughs> which was a nice little uh, from the skipper but he also said that uh, one of the ways that Surya Kumar sees cricket and sees T20 batting is that he doesn't like batting on a small ground because he feels that the fielders are closer together there are fewer gaps he prefers bigger grounds and he loves playing in Australia for that very reason so he doesn't actually see the game and the ground in terms of the sixes he can hit he sees it in terms of the gaps he can find. We'll be doing a lot more on the T20 World Cup through the semi-final dailies and all the rest of it so we've got to look more broadly at what's happening with the Australian team at the moment, there's this interesting situation, a bit of schadenfreude around after they've been knocked out of the World Cup among a particular cohort of, you know, former players and whatnot, which seems to have some sort of link back to a recent coach. Curious, uh, you, you were writing about this today, Dan, in the, uh, the, the formerly Fairfax papers. Give us the rundown. Well, essentially, uh, the um, ferocity, I think, of, of the response to Australia's, well, quite narrow, half a run on net run rate elimination from the World Cup before the semi-finals, 
has uh, almost felt like the end game of a saga that we know kind of started in February this year when Justin Langer finished up as Australian men's team coach mm-hmm. and did so amid a howl of anger and disgust and frustration by the majority of the players that he mm. played with as opposed to the players that he had coached. And um, that kind of uh, attitude of, of anger was sort of put on pause for a little while because Australia obviously immediately after that did rather well. They won in Pakistan for yep. the first time since 1998. Right. They split a series in Sri Lanka. They beat New Zealand in the top, in a top-end one-day series. So elimination from the World Cup is really the first... Um, first chance uh, to flex. Well, I called it the pratfall, first pratfall since the change of, of coach and change of regime. And um, the guys representing the fabric of the game, as they are called by some, have really got stuck in. Yeah, you also use that old uh, political expression, Wayne, with baseball bats on the porch like it's felt to me like whenever Australia have lost this year not that they've lost an awful lot but when they have there's been a cohort of Australian cricket fans who've been very quick to jump on this and and refer it back to Langer and also a bit of an east-west thing which feels odd to me coming from Melbourne I don't know about you Jeff and I know it's a bit different with you being from SA Daniel but as a kid, I didn't kind of think of, oh, there being some big east-west divide. But no. coming back the other way, over eastern, as they say there, they seem to have taken it personally that Langer was removed and replaced by someone from the eastern seaboard. doesn't tally for me, but it's a strongly held view, isn't it? I think it's been exacerbated by COVID. You know, the state of West Australia or the country of West Australia separated from the rest of us for a couple of years. Right. And the other thing that I think is a huge factor, and this is obviously something that Cricket Australia needs to take some level of kind of culpability in, was... The image making around the team, especially the Amazon documentary, but not just that, after Justin Lane became the coach in 2018, he was the face of the team. Sure. He was yeah. the centre of gravity of the team. And he was the credibility of the team. It was like, here, look, it's a good, solid, former player with a good career, all the rest of it, you know, someone you, someone you can believe in. So the audience and the past players who... Justin obviously is close to were both conditioned to think that he was the centre of the t- of the team. Yep. He was then, as of the winter of 2021, after a pretty um, uh, disastrous tour of the West Indies and Bangladesh, no longer the centre of the team. Certainly in terms of the strategy, the tactics, mm. that was kind of passed to the team captains and to Andrew McDonald, the senior assistant, who is now the head coach. And what happened? Australia won the World Cup in the mm. UAE. Australia won the Ashes at home. It looked for all the world as though this was the beginning of a, you know, a, a gentle exit transition period for Justin Langer. But then the minute that the Ashes was over, it became a big blow up again. And right. the whole, you know, the whole concept of Justin Langer being offered another six month deal, Cricket Australia not being able to bring themselves to actually say, you're done. Yeah. Um, well, he would have coached this tournament, would he not? That would have, it would have been his last his last event exactly. Right. Um, so, so, so how does it work? Though? How does it tally to have this idea that? If Jail was still here, they would have won this World Cup when the whole point of the last one is that he wasn't involved in the deep, detailed planning of how to play it. It goes back to the image making. Mm. It goes back to, as I say, the, the fact that he was put front and centre in the public viewing of the team. Right. And that's a hard thing to shake, irrespective of what's going on internally, whether, you know, who's making what decision, who's running training who's taking an active involvement in how the teams are being put together. And I, and I think that's something that um, it's, it's unavoidable in terms of, of some of the blowback. But I also think that the blowback that we are seeing is from a fairly specific and narrow group. They're a vocal right. group, for sure, 
but I don't think that's necessarily reflected in the wider um, view of Australian cricket. And one of the things, just to, to finish that off, yep. we are being given day by day at this World Cup a reappraisal of what the Australian cricket public looks like because all of those South Asian expats who are coming to see India, coming to see Bangladesh, coming to see Pakistan, they're part of the Australian cricket public. Sure. So that is the group that needs more attention, not so much the group that is saying Justin Lang should still be coaching Australia. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Like Dan Cherney had it in a PC wrote today about the most popular team in Australia is actually India. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you consider the, the, the Australian cricket family as being broader than just those who follow the Australian team per se, the Indian team yeah. with expat fans has grown to be the, the most popular based, you know, crudely on attendances in what we've seen in the World Cup in the last few weeks. And, and what you described before about a certain section of the community who, who've never really been able to get beyond the Langer decision earlier this year and what that represents, maybe that meshes with... We had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about sponsorship and about Pat Cummins well he, he, the, the comments he made to you wasn't it around uh, the way he wanted to see the Australian side sponsored into the future under his captaincy and that seemed to strike a nerve just before this World Cup because they were getting a, a bit of a perfect storm a number of bits have fed into why the, the, the side are, mm. are seen at the but, moment by some people as, as not meeting expectations yeah yeah and as I say it's a quartile drawn from social media particularly Twitter, drawn from Talkback Radio, the, the callers that are that are coming in on shows, and then the former players who are both guests on those shows and also hosts of those shows mm. in some cases. And, yeah, I think it's... Um, like, I would put down, say, for instance, the crowds for the Australian team at this World Cup being a little bit down on expectations down to a couple of factors. One is that the Australian men's white ball team's been behind a paywall since 2018. Yep. Another is that generally it's been a struggle historically to get crowds in to watch Australia in November, let alone October. Yeah. And then the third factor is that Australian games at this World Cup, probably logically, have been priced at a higher point than the other games. So if you put those factors together, mm-hmm. I think that's a much more rational explanation for the crowds than, yep. oh, I don't think this Australian team is very popular because they got rid of the coach. Yeah, and they're on the nose because they're too woke, and if you go woke, you go broke, and, and all that kind of <laughs> thing. Even the Perth game was freezing, you know. I mean, they, they, haven't, <laughs> they haven't been playing in particularly attractive conditions wherever they've been. Yes, and the, the MCG game against England was obviously the apogee of that in mm-hmm. the case that had that been decent weather had that not been a washout you would have got around 70,000 there and as it was given that the weather in Melbourne was so terrible for two days they still got nearly 40,000 people turn up with no expectation of seeing a ball bowled Mm -hmm. that I think I think that tells you that there's uh, there's a little bit more support out there than some are saying there's also it seems to me that there's there was a response like you said from a certain vocal um, quarter or eighth or sixteenth or whatever it is of people who follow cricket in this country it it seemed to me like most people really didn't give a shit about this tournament at all, they weren't particularly switched on and I've been asked about this a bit as well and my read on it is that A, that in Australia T20 cricket is still not seen as particularly serious cricket, it's not, it doesn't have the same cachet as a test series or whatever it is in terms of credibility and also that this tournament, given that we literally had one 
less than a year ago. We're going to have another one in about 14 months from now, um, in the middle of 2024. The point of a World Cup is that if it comes around every four years on that Olympiad cycle, then it's been so long since the last one. People get excited, people get into it, you know, hence the Olympics, hence the Football World Cup, all the rest of it, the, the 50 over World Cup works on this timeline. This one doesn't. That also seems to me to make it hard to convince people that it really matters that much. Yep, I would agree with that. I think the only thing that will probably stick in the core of the Australian players in years to come, whenever any of them finish, or particularly those who might finish after the next World Cup in the USA and the Caribbean in 2024, is that that will have been the only T20 World Cup they will ever get to play at home. Mm. And I think that's a slightly different space to there's a World Cup every year. And I honestly think that the sizes of the crowds are very much a seasonal thing in Australia. Um, I was talking to our colleague Melinda Farrell about this uh, not so long ago and about how um, Australian cricket is fortunate to have a vast casual audience that certainly English cricket has not had for quite some time, if it indeed ever had it. There is a very committed audience for cricket in the UK, but in Australia it is seasonal and casual to Mm -hmm. a great degree and that's how you can fill stadiums the size of this one the size of the mcg the size of the scg in december and january yeah and look when there's a perception that the players also jeff Mm. may not care quite so much and now this is this is a this is complicated terrain because that's been attributed to glenn maxwell i don't think he said that at all i think what he was saying in his commentary when they lost the other night well they won the other night felt like a loss when they beat afghanistan but it was a effectively a loss because they weren't going to progress to the, the the semi-final stage was that you don't have time as a modern short-form cricketer to dwell too much in what's just happened because there literally is another game to play a couple of days later mm. another thing they have to fixate on and have to get up for yep. and if they didn't get up for the next game they were playing for when representing australia they'd be criticized for that so yep. there's that's how i didn't interpreted it well how i interpreted it was well what space do they have it's not like the end of a footy season, say, when sure. you lose the grand final and you have five months before the next game. These are 12-month-a-year professionals. Yeah. So to expect him to sit there and, and gnash his teeth to the world about... I mean, he obviously did do that, by the way, in the same press conference. You were there. In the same press conference, he talked about the how devastated they were as a group that they probably wouldn't be going through, although he did temper that because they could, at that stage, still make it through, technically. But, you know, it wasn't so much about that. It was more, I felt, him giving us a, a bit of an insight as to what it's like to be a modern cricketer. What do we want? Him to lie to us? Like, do we want them to go, oh, no, it's all good? Um, you know, at some at some level, uh, we all we can really ask for is the truth, right? The generation that is saying that, oh, well, that those comments, those honest comments, reflect that this team doesn't care enough, were not a generation who are playing anything like the same amount of either international cricket or 2020 cricket domestically around yeah. the world. The, complete, the, the whole financial model of cricket was different at that stage. Mm. And every game, not to say that every game for Australia isn't an event now, but... Um, it was then. we we we, we, we yeah. remember it you know it was it was it was five or six test matches sure. it was six or eight world series cup games and finals and then it was a couple of tours with a similar amount of cricket overseas each year and that was it and i, I think the um uh yeah the the well one of the the good insights i think in terms of the schedule for australia both before the world cup and after the world cup before the world cup obviously they they went from queensland to wa and back they had to keep. They decided to keep half their team on the east coast to save them a flight to kind of 
keep them from burning out. And then on the other side of it, had Australia made the semis or the final of this World Cup, the team that was going to play England in a one-day series immediately afterwards would have been completely different from the one selected yesterday based on the amount of time. So Mm. all I think Glenn Maxwell was doing was, as you say, rightly, Adam, uh, providing an insight into the way that you have to think given what's presented in front of you. Indian Press have been reporting that um, there's intel out from the IPL that by uh, 2027 they're going to go up to 94 matches a season. That's the full complement with all 10 teams playing each other twice plus finals. That's up from 74, which it currently is. Is that going to have any sort of impact? I mean, adding 20 games to that kind of season in terms of that player drain and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that we're talking about? Absolutely, it will. And the other, the other thing that it will do, and I wrote about this earlier in this tournament, it's going to push the IPL further and further into February and perhaps even into January. And it doesn't have the ability to go the other way because of the monsoon season in right. India once you, kick into, once you get into June, basically. Yep. And so that means that certainly the Australian season, but the southern season that is shared by the majority of, of major cricket nations is going to get concertinaed even further. Now, there's, there is an argument that there's another kind of layer to that with the IPL expansion that, you know, some players are going to say, well, hang on, I don't know if I can be there for that entire amount of games. I might be, I might be starting a little bit later. But then, of course, as we know, everyone has a price and it'll be a question of how much the salary cap goes up next year now that there's a new broadcast deal to come in. So, like, if players are being offered, um, you know, circa... Like, if they, if they could get, I don't know, a top player might get $10 million out of the auction to play in the IPL every year. That's a very different conversation to now because it means no country, no matter how rich, can really protect itself through central contracts. Yeah, and that's before we even get, well, as you say, central contracts, before we even get to the idea that IPL franchises might be able to contract players for multiple years across multiple competitions mm, where they have full a... Full time. Where they have a share, where they have a, um, a majority stakeholder ownership stake in the club, rather, which we already know is happening in the international T20 in the UAE and South Africa, and as we've talked about a lot on The Final Word recently, the, the IPL owners were at the 100 this year. Of course, they've had a stake in, in CPL clubs in the last five years or so as well. I mean, this is... We're reaching, we've said it repeatedly, we, we may have already passed the tipping point, but what you're describing there about the IPL season will only add to that. Yeah, and it's the, it's the case where everyone in the cricket system, whether they're the administrators, the broadcasters, the players, the supporters of teams, the followers of matches, all have to get used to you know, the arc of cricket going in that, in that direction. And, um, yeah, I would say that some of the criticism of the Australian team and some of the criticism of the decision to move on from Justin Langer comes from Mm. a bit of a place of what's happening to my cricket, you know, what's happening to the cricket that I used to know and I used to love. Uh, And the truth is that I think test cricket's always going to be played in Australia and that will will be always the centrepiece of that December-January period. But... A lot around it is changing and has already changed, and I, and I think you know that that can be a hard thing for people to get their heads around when sport and cricket, in particular, are you know they're seen as the rhythm of summer, as I said before about the you know the casual fandom in Australia. Yeah. One question that's been interesting me: a lot of the people who are critical of the Australian team, and a line that I've heard from a few different people and from different sources and directions is uh, the players have too much say now. The the players have too much power, as in it was the players who removed the coach. And then 
Cummins talking about sponsors and so on, people getting very resentful of that, saying, why should the players get to decide this or that, which they're not, but there's that perception. And this would be coming from people who might be in favour of, of, say, the World Series cricket revolution and saying that Ian Chappell and co did the right thing in pushing back against the establishment and so on. Why does it piss people off so much, the idea that players aren't just going to shut up and entertain them but are actually going to have an influence on how things are done? I think it it sort of speaks to, I, I, I'd say, a pretty old order kind of view of the role of the player and I think it probably is a quite football-dominated view of the role of the player um, and even of the role of the coach. I, I think there's, there's no question that while he was coach of Australia... Justin Langer leveraged off a lot of the footy idea of the role of the coach, mm-hmm. even though in cricket it's a very different tradition. You have a bounce of power with the captain. Mm. And West Coast Eagles number one ticket holder, wasn't he? He's on the, board. Like on the board. On the board, yeah. yeah. He's on the board. So it's one of those situations where I think there's, yeah, there is a little bit of a disconnect between the way things are and the way things were or the way things were perceived to be. And in terms of, you know, player representation and and players having kind of a seat at the table in in terms of decision making we all remember the 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 pay dispute in 2017 and kind of the uh the then cricket australia administration either directly or indirectly firing shots in terms of exactly what you just said about the players having too much power the the players being too greedy the the, the players aren't going along with us on on mm. something and um you know you can actually find the seeds of a lot of what we're hearing on talkback radio at the moment in you know the scar tissue from a few events like that over the past four or five years and so yeah I, I think in terms of I suppose what can be done about it and what can be done to sort of turn it around and make it constructive I think it's important that a lot of the guys who used to play cricket for Australia just reconnect with the idea that they're part of an Australian team that wasn't just one group of the same 11 players who played for five years and that's it they do have a connection to something that's bigger than that, that's intergenerational, that involves players who come after them as well mm. as players who came before them. And the idea that the Australian team was never a club team and never will be a club team, it's a rep team. Yeah, well, this is what you wrote in Whitewash to Whitewash all those years ago, that sort of acknowledgement that to be successful, Australian teams realise they are representative sides. They're not, they're not club teams. And, you know, in turn, like that idea of the footy coach mentality and where it was... Needed, re- needed realignment post Langer and you, you quote from uh, Tim Payne's book today about the, the, the dressing down that Justin Langer gave him after the Brisbane Test match of 2021 when they lost to India and Payne, and I'm shorthanding here, saying, look, it's a gutter we lost but it is just a game of cricket and, and Langer saying, don't you ever fucking speak like that again. That might have been a bit of a tell that that generation, this generation of players have to see the game in the context of the bigger picture that they're operating in where they're going from place to place being stretched a million ways in a fashion or in a manner that wasn't the case when Langer himself was playing because there simply weren't quite so many commitments sure a lot of them played county cricket which was taxing not disputing the eight days a week nature of county cricket in that time but just what you said before like what they're being asked to do what a lot of them are being asked to do through the 12 month cycle means that they get pretty much no time off whatsoever and it does change the way in which they have to view this otherwise they're, they're going to burn out and stop playing and the psychology of not just cricket success but sporting success has moved on from the attitudes of those days like I've had I've spoken to players of that sort of 90s 2000 generation who look at the current generation they're like look we put so much pressure on ourselves 
to win. And if we didn't win, we were at ourselves, we were at each other, we hated it and it was a real visceral kind of thing. However, these days, and it's not, you know, it did, I don't think it really started in cricket, but it's definitely the, the, you know, the rule across the board now. It's the process-driven athlete. It's the not talking about winning. I think, you know, certainly in cricket in New Zealand, I think Kane Williams, Williamson is a huge advocate of that. You know, you don't, talk, you don't talk about winning. You talk about playing as well as you can and playing better than you did the day before. And let's not talk about winning until we've won kind of thing. And that's a hard thing, again, for, for previous generations to get their heads around. Dan Bredig, you must be uh, the most interviewed guest in Final Word history, I reckon. Great to have you back here at your home ground. Uh, enjoy the, the finals over the next few days and, and we'll catch up through the summer, I'm sure. Excellent, guys. Thanks. Hi, I'm Natalie Jemonis and you listen to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Thanks to Dan Bredig, as always, for being so generous with his time when he's uh, been busy writing about the Australian team and we're after that kind of insight. That's who we turn to, the correspondent from The Age. Uh, Jeff, before getting into the rest of our agenda items, we're going to elevate a little game called... Nerd Pledge! Yeah, can do that. Got the window open, Adelaide <laughs> Oval. Um, what must the grand staff think? What must Damien Huff think right now? Yeah, what is, what is Huffman? Huffman is thrusting in the direction of the problem. It, it, it can only be in Australia where we know all of the curators yep. and their backstories. Mm-hmm. There's, they're groundsmen in England. Groundsmen. And we don't know who they are, not really, no. apart from Lords. That, that's a bit of a thing. But outside of that, they're not, yes. they haven't got that kind of cachet. Here How many on the ground hand. staff in England have been the mayor of a major city? That's true. That's true. Who's got a tunnel Clem named Jones. after them? Yeah. In Clem, Clem Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah, the Clem Jones Tunnel. And, there's the, of course, there was, well, there was the Clem Jones stand at the Old Gabba. Mm-hmm. And all the rest. Anyway, so their pledge is the game we play, Jeff. Yep, we play it with people on the internet. It's a reverse quiz. You quiz us. It works like this. This show is free. People help us fund it voluntarily. This is free? Yeah, we just make this. It's like Twitter. This website's still free? No, we just make this for people to listen to. Wow. Yep, they just have to put up with our 19 shows a week, but they get to (laughs) listen to all of them. And people who want to help us keep doing it, they send in contributions. And the way the game works is that it's not a round number, not a normal denomination. It's a specific number because it relates to cricket in some way. And this is how it works. Michael Hargraves has sent through $5.21. Uh, and he sent it through on behalf of the Murrumbidgee Mancatters Cricket Club. <laughs> now, this is something I've enjoyed greatly when I got this message. Okay. He said, this was a tangent, this club was a tangent that I went down, listening to your podcast when Ravachandran Ashwin ran out Joss Butler at the non-strikers end. You both rightly defended the honour of Vino Mancad, and from your waxed lyrics, this cricket club came into being. Oh. How touching. Uh, he says, we're a philosophical, historiographical cricket club playing in World Series West Indies Salmon and have just been accepted into the Gundagai and District Cricket Association for the oldest continuous country cricket comp in New South Wales, the Hogan Cup. Brilliant. Can we, is there, is there a, can we justify getting there at some point? Probably not this summer because I'm going back in, in mid-December. But to Gundagai, but sh- surely between a Canberra and Sydney joint. That's when we'll point. do it, yeah, the road yeah. to Gundagai. Exactly, as, as, uh, <laughs> as used by your father when he <laughs> yes, tried to write the GWS Giants <laughs> Came close, runner-up in yeah. the GWS theme song contest in 2010. <laughs> I mean, in truth, they did good with Big Big Sound. Yeah, yeah, I think they, I think they made the right call. They made the right no, call. No disrespect to Daryl's music. It was a good work. song. It was a good, it was mm-hmm. a good the, the road to Gundagai, because, mm-hmm. you know, they were trying to, Embrace Canberra, yep. lust going in that direction away yep. from Sydney and so on. But, yeah, big, big sound. 
yeah. Do- dog on the tucker box, all the rest of it. Yeah. So, so that, that's not a clue. That's just a backstory. Okay. But the number is five twenty-one. You had a look at it. I had a look at it. How'd you go? I I did. Well, five twenty-one is the cap number of Gladstone Small, who was an Ashes winner here in in eighty six, eighty seven. That really good documentary that was made last year by Jonathan Overend, um, formerly of the BBC, who went back and, and traced the enti- the whole backstory of all the players and so on. And I was a talking head, so to speak, on that. But, yeah, the Gladstone Small story came through and he was a, a memorable figure then. There aren't as many 5 for 21s as I thought, Jeff. I thought there'd be a shitload of them, given their you know, figures you'd imagine in a, in a one-day international, 10 sure. overs, 5 for 21. Not too often at all. In fact, if you go back through it, there, there weren't that many at all until one day cricket. The first five for 21 uh, was in January 1937 at the MCG, a test match we've spoken about. An absolute shitload. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then the second was in 1956 at Auckland. Then the third was in 1974, which was Chris Old. So there's not many early days, okay. but then you, you jump forward in one day cricket, there, there are quite a few more. There's been one that we were at, though, and mm-hmm. I thought I'd drill down on that briefly. And... It's only because today is when the midterm elections are in America. They're happening right now. Right. Uh, and I was watching them earlier today. I'll always think of American politics when I think of when the Australian sub were all out for 85 at Hobart in 2016, getting you off the plane mm-hmm. on morning one, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, I got there about an hour before play right. from the States Direct. Yeah, so like, you've been there for election night. Yeah. But we kind of experienced election day in Hobart because we come straight from... Perth, where Australia had lost the first test to South Africa. I was staying with our mate, uh, Alex Johnson, who put me up and we went into his office, which was there at Parliament House, and watched the um, election count unfold and, and were all you know, mortified at what was about to happen. And we mm. all gathered there in Salamanca that night, all the journos and whatnot. And yeah, it took us a while to recover from that blow that there was going to be, well, that Donald Trump was going to be president. Anyway, a couple of days on from that, Australia were all out for 85 inside like the first session of the test match and mm-hmm. the whole public debate moved on. People stopped caring about Washington and they only cared about Bell Reeve Oval uh, <laughs> on that morning. It was Vern Philander who took five for 21 from about 10 overs, and that included the wicket of David Warner, who I remember Richard Hines, writing for News Corp at the time, said that David Warner's brain explosion, because hmm. he got caught behind, dashing at a ball about three feet outside the off stump, was to such an extent that there was brain splattered over the sight screen <laughs> at, at Bell Reeve. I remember my intro that day was... Um, I kind of found a way to tangentially link back to an episode of yep. Full Frontal in 1993. <laughs> of course you did. Uh, yeah, kind of more, more my areas. <laughs> okay. That got published by the Guardian newspaper. <laughs> I'll have you know. Uh, was anyway. It, was it pointer related? Was it, it was to was do with... It, it, was a skit, it was a skit where a, a woman comes home to find her husband has clearly been cheating on her. Uh, and, and he's like, or, or, or rather, the impression is that he's been doing something dodgy. He's just scuttling home, and you know, uh, and, and, she, and, and she's like, "Well, you, you've been, you've been cheating on me." And he goes, "No, no, 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 no." And then eventually, the, the, the punchline is, "No, I've been playing for the Sydney Swans." <laughs> <laughs> that was more embarrassing than cheating on his wife, like when they had their dreadful season in '93 when they kept losing over and over again. Anyway, um, that was five for twenty-one. Mm-hmm. That was a big week, and I, I was reminded of it today when watching that coverage. That Gee, remember that time we were in Hobart watching mm. another US election count and that was the week of 5 for 21. So that, that's my contribution for this. Very good. Thank you for the walk down memory lane. I, I took it more in the direction of running out the non-striker. For those who worship, for those who practice, for those who celebrate, um, <laughs> I thought that might be the place to look. I did. I had a long look at Vinu Mankad. Yep. 52 half century. So we're looking for 521, 521, 52 okay. career 50s, but there's no one 
to, to, to tally up with it. It's not, yeah. it's not like he, he made one double hundred, he made three double hundreds. Right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't quite stand that Well, up. he executed one running out of the non-striker. He, he did execute one of those, so it could be the 52 and the one, but they don't seem to link they don't, to Yeah, me. they don't... Yeah, there's no sort of reflection there, is there? And I, I went deeper through his career and looked at innings. He never took five for 21. Uh, I, I couldn't find anything to link with it, particularly in terms of something to do with a season, like a bowling average for a season or uh-huh. something like that. So I thought, okay, maybe not Vinu Mancad. Maybe we look at Maver Duma. Um, and I did enjoy watching that footage back again. It's, I like how they get more and more excited with each one, the yeah. Cameroon players. Every, every time when she pulls off, the, by the time she does the third one, they're all doing a dance celebration <laughs> together because they just can't believe that these Uganda players keep walking out of their crease. It's worth noting that, yes, she ran out four players at the non-striker's end. Uh, sometimes we forget that she also took a wicket that day. She went right through Proskovia Alako, who was opening for Uganda. And they were off to a flyer Uganda. It's also worth remembering that Cameroon had never played at that level before. They were very outmatched by a Ugandan team that had. They were getting smashed around the place. She gets the wicket and then she starts running out the non-strikers. So, you know, oh. it takes, takes the wicket conventionally first. And then I was trying to figure this out. So here's, here's a very tenuous possibility. She ends up with figures of one for 32 that day. You don't get the runouts recorded in your figures. She does, in effect, dismiss five players that day, and the match was in 2021. So it was five dismissals in 21, 5 to one Don't think that's going to cut it. So it came all the way back to Ashwin and Butler. Kings eleven Punjab, when they were formerly known as that particular team. Good score what for them. What are they known as now? They're uh, the Punjab Kings, aren't they? Okay. Yep, swapped it around. I'll, I'll take your word for yeah. it. Different to the Super Kings, the uh, Titans, the Super Titans, the, uh, <laughs> the, rising, the Super Giant. The Rising Super Giant. All and the then rest Super of Giants. Yes, point. yes. Got a, important distinctions there. Kings 11 Punjab. They make 184, Chris Gale and Safaraz Khan, the... the one who still can't get into an Indian squad and everybody's furious, made a bunch of runs. Ashwin defending with the ball. Similarly, like Mae Duma, takes a wicket before he affects the run out of the non-striker. So he bowls the Jinkirahane with the carom ball for 27. And it's four overs later when he decides he's had enough of Joss Butler wandering off early and knocks the bails off. The Royals collapse. They end up on 170 for nine. They lose the game. Ashwin's four overs that day are cheap. Across his figures, what are we looking for? Five, two, one. He's got an economy rate of five. Concedes twenty runs, and he takes one wicket. Five, two, one. It'll do. It, look, it's probably not right, but it'll. I think it'll, there's a chance. There's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. I'm saying there's, there's a chance. chance. It might be. Either way, Michael Hargraves of the Maram Biji. Man Catters Cricket Club. It's great to have you part of the fun. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash the final word if you want to join us. We're going to be making a lot more sort of interview-based programs coming up soon. Jeff and I are going on a road trip next week, which is going to be fun. Um, And we're going to be producing the weekend show story time. We missed last week because there was just no way that was going to happen. But Mm -hmm. we're back on the bike now preparing for this weekend. And and so it'll go throughout the course of the Australian summer, both while I'm here until mid to late December and then when I return back to the UK, we'll be 
through the screens again, like the Postal Service. Um, <laughs> right, that is Nerd Pledge. Let's move on to uh, some more topics. Uh, squads galore, Jeff. One-day so squad. Squads. So too many squads. Uh, yep. So many squads on a dance floor. Too many squads. Uh, there's a one-day squad. There's a test squad. There's a PM's 11 squad. Uh-huh. Uh, let's go through all of them. These are the Australian okay. men. One-day squad. Do you want to start there? I, I'm, I'm most interested in this, and I'm going to lay it out this way. Okay. The one-day international team is effectively now the test team. Nine players out of the 11 are... Okay. In the test team. So here's how I'm picking it's going to shape up, presumably. David Warner and Travis Head to open. Head's come in for Aaron Finch after retiring. They've got Labashane Smith, Cam Green, Glenn Maxwell, Kerry, wicketkeeping, and then Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, Zampa. The other three floating around the squad are Mitch Marsh, Stoinis, and Ashton Agar. Presumably Agar's the reserve spinner. Stoinis might play if they're flat decks but if they're trickier pitches then they'll do the Labuschagne Smith double and Mitch Marsh is the spare all-rounder but Zampa and Maxwell are the only non-first choice test 11 players in that one day team right it's kind of interesting that we've we've almost gone full circle because when Maxwell was in the last test squad they had exactly so in the squad yes and and probably will be for India and then when they release the test squad it's it's as above but with Kawaja in for Maxwell, Lyon in for Zampa. That's it. And Scott Boland and Marcus Harris are the reserves there. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that this feels very 1990s that they're going, no, no, all the best test players we have, are, and, and maybe they're right. You and, know. and this is just at the time when we've heard during the week, and this was a dance story as well as it happens, um, that they're going to transition away from the big three quick start mm-hmm. Hazelwood Cummins with white ball cricket, probably more after the next... 50 over World Cup, but yep. it's unlikely they'll be in the plans for the next T20 World sure. Cup that follows in the Caribbean and America two and a bit years from now. So, yeah, this One is all... That's uh, really? late 24, isn't it? I think that yeah. World Cup's taking place. But we're place. at the end of 2022, so it'll be about 18 months. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I've got it wrong way around. Yeah, 18 months away from now. Yeah. Anyway, point is, is that it won't be long before they are, they are making big changes to the way they select white ball squads, mm-hmm. both 20 over and, and 50 over. And those guys will go more the broad Anderson route where they'll mm. be trying to preserve them for as long as possible. And I think that makes sense. There is, a, I guess, a quirk there that Pat Cummins is the captain of the one-day squad at a time when we kind of know that after the World Cup next year, that won't be quite so much a yeah. part of what he's doing. Of the three of them, he's the one I can see them trying to get around for another World Cup four years on again because he'd be 34 then. So I can see a world yeah. where they still get some use out of him in that form if he's still going and his body remains intact. But but it um, felt almost like... It felt like making him one-day captain was a short-term fix. Absolutely. Like, this will do for now. Oh, I think, it's, and I think it was a good hands. decision. Like, yeah. I think, you know, when you're away in America, we, we thrash us out in some depth. I don't mind it because... They're prioritising the World Cup as, the, as that part of the, of the cycle. Mm. And this is where they play the majority of their 50-over cricket. There's going to be loads of 50-over cricket. I mean, we don't see yep. Australia take the field in 20-over cricket now until August 2023. 50-over stuff constantly, including a, a series in India, which is going to be bunged on in March, which yep. I've been told yesterday is definitely happening. So there's going to be so much 50-over cricket between mm. now and the, and the World Cup in India in October 2023. Why not let Cummins dictate terms on, on that squad? And uh, it also neatly avoids uh, having to not appoint David Warner in a way. Like if, if it was, right. a, if it's not the existing test captain, then it has to be someone else who gets preferred to Warner who hasn't captained. Yeah, you know, I suppose. That's effectively how it works. I suppose that's right. So in that way, they can kind of, they have plausible deniability to say, oh, well, it sort of had to be Cummins because he's already in charge. Yeah. And so in that way, you know, Warner can't, they avoid, they avoid a tough bit, that's true. Yeah. On the test squad, by the way, Peter Hanscom's stiff. 
Uh, he has made a shitload of runs mm-hmm. uh, in Shield cricket, five hundred something. Renshaw, I thought as well, might be a chance there. But I expect both where, will play in India. So this, this is where the PM's eleven is interesting, though, because everyone who's next cab is in that team. Right. So Renshaw is there. Yep. Hanscom is there. Maxwell's not, but he's going to play for Victoria for the first time in like three years yeah, in Shield yeah. cricket, and he's going to play for Australia. A. So he will get. And that's the game against the South Africans on tour right. before they. So he'll get two bites of the cherry against the Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Oh, that might be a pink ball game. Either way, two first-class games that have been a rarity for him in recent years. Sure. That'll be like the small opportunity he gets this summer to play a little bit of first-class yep. cricket with an eye to India. But I'm certain that... Um, I say I'm certain. I'd be very surprised if Hanscom and Renshaw aren't part of the thinking for India. Yep. Purely down... Well, two reasons. One, they're making runs. And two, they've played in India before. Mm. And as everybody knows, it is a tough place to go for the first time. And I know a lot of white ball cricket's played over there, but it's different gravy trying to trying to sweat it out for five days. Yeah, and who were the last Australian players to make hundreds in India? Steve Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Michael Clark. Yeah. So, you know, you're going back a long way Absolutely. before anybody was able to do that. So the PM's 11, I found that this this 11 interesting as well because it is clearly the next best. It is, it's, it's not, they're not really sort of giving uh, speculative opportunities to just whoever. So it's Marcus Harris and Henry Hunt to open. Good news for Henry Hunt. Yeah, good news. He's been identified. Canberra zone. Pukowski. <laughs> that, that's the Canberra link, by the way. Right. When I was doing PM's 11 stuff all those years ago, they'd always want a Canberra link to the team. Sure. Used to be a Canberran sort of ACT yep. district player. Because Henry Hunt grew up, I think it was Queenbean he played for as right. a kid. That's the Canberra link for okay. this, even though he very much is a South Australian cricketer these days. Yeah, but he's Barrett's pick and has been for a couple of yes. years to be the long-term opener. Um, the, the well, those two could be. Harrison Hunt could be the test yeah. openers in a year. Sure. Absolutely. You could easily see that. Yeah, and there is there is still the Pukowski question floating around unresolved. But um, Hanscom, Renshaw, so, you know, they're, they're the ones looking to make comebacks effectively. Aaron Hardy is an interesting pick. I mean... He's a good pick. Great numbers as he's an all-rounder. A, he's a... He's, he, he will be, I reckon, playing international cricket soon in one of the three formats. Most likely to be red ball cricket, actually. You look at the way yep. that he's... Um, he's shaping up as as, a, as an all round package. Made that I think 174 not out in the Shield final last year. We all know that Shield finals are prioritised above all other games in Australia, sure. and not unreasonably, it's the closest um, you get to Test cricket, I guess. Yeah. And he went to Surrey, played two games from nowhere in the middle of the season. Only one first, I think one first class game actually, and won this extraordinary chase at Scarborough and hit the right. winning runs and made runs in both innings, made took wickets in both innings. Yeah. And so yeah, I think he played one blast game and one championship game but right. was very much celebrated as part of the squad when they won the trophy in September yeah and hasn't played a lot of first class cricket 16 games but yeah 48 with the bat 26 with the ball useful decent numbers at that point in time and then you've got a couple of the bowlers who are trying to again push their their way back into a team that they've been in before in Ashton Agar and Michael Nisa you've got Sean Abbott who's played white ball cricket and who's been floating around Deserves in these it. sort of next best squads for yep. years and years and years without making the jump to tests and you've got Mark Steckerty who's been in squads and hasn't had the opportunity to actually play that South Africa tour that got cancelled for instance and then Todd Murphy the other spinner so that's an interesting pick the the, the finger spinner who is a prospect they like the look of for spin ranks. Yeah, so a few bits here. First of all, Mark Steckerty, uh, along with it was Andrew Feckerty, wasn't mm. it? He didn't get to go to Bangladesh. We thought they might be the two unlucky, yeah. the Eckertys, but Wasn't he in the South African squad as well, Steckerty? Steckerty was. Yeah. 
Uh, Fekety was the one that was picked for Bangladesh yes. in 15 that never went ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you skipped over Inglis's not only oh, yeah. so Inglis, keeper I, but I captain. Left, I left out but, yeah. um, but, because I mean, he's going to captain the side. Yeah, that's the interesting piece there, right? It makes sense he'd keep. as the next, But captain ahead of Hanscom, that, that's a bit of a sign for what they might be mm-hmm. thinking uh, once he eventually ends up as more a full-time member of the, of the national teams. Uh, and, yeah, I, I'm... I'm Really pleased to see that Nisa and Steckity, who have been dominating in Shield cricket, I think they've taken 32 wickets between them so mm-hmm. far for Queensland to start the season. And you mentioned Todd Murphy. All the all the people who watch the Vicks play a lot think this guy's just a Test cricketer. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to wait his turn when Nathan Lyon, of course, as we know, is going to take in excess of 800 Test wickets, as we explained a couple of weeks ago on the show. But he's young and he's capable and he's yeah. highly rated. And I think it says a bit that he's already. Considered to be along with Ashton Agar, mm-hmm. the next one's there, and, and there's no Schweppes in here either. I'm not sure whether that's a, you know managing Schweppes, and he's not just playing red ball cricket at the moment. He's he's playing across the across the formats. But yeah, they've gone with with Murphy getting that chance in, instead of Schweppes, and provided they're both available, I guess. Yeah, I suppose he he'll probably be in the Australia A setup. Probably, he's, he's yeah. Got better numbers than Nathan Lyon in the Shield so far yep. um, this season. Yep. Schweppes, but. Yeah, so it's interesting that me to me that uh, say Renshaw, Hanscom, they're still in the mix. I mean, you're talking about the clean out after Hobart 2016. Well, they were the the ones who came in the replacements, after they clean yeah. Out. And so five years later, they're still considered to be a possibility to go on. I suppose um, it, it, through the Shield, Hanscom leading the Shield with 518 runs so far. Harris second with 287. So. I mean, Hanscom nearly double the next best. Uh, they were playing on Karen Rolton and the, the Juno, the Junction Oval, the two flattest decks in the country. It's all got to make him. I, just, yes, I think yes, with, I with, with Renshaw, it's uh, given he's kind of changed the way that he's seen. Like when he started his test career here at Adelaide, he, he, he made a virtue of being a sheet anchor and mm. you know, playing inside the line and batting for hours on end and that you know, those series of hilarious now back pages when he was on seven not out overnight but the fact that he faced 43 balls that was yep. enough for us to to celebrate the the arrival of a potential great it was mm. crazy that that time in ended in up 16. facing over 100 deliveries over 100 balls wow now it's like well if he gets back it could well be as a white ball cricketer in the middle order mm. like he's gonna have to do it not a million miles away from like i think about damien martin mm. he was a similar age when he got dropped got that first opportunity had to wait Six, six, seven years to get another crack. And it was through the white ball team. Mm -hmm. And given we're, you know, heading into a World Cup year, maybe there won't be quite so many opportunities for Inshore there. But Australia A, PM's 11. Now we're, I guess, post-COVID, there'll be more and more of these opportunities to play touring sides. And and hopefully the Australia A program extends to going overseas next year a couple of times. Like the senior squad are in India. Well, they sent the A squad to Sri Lanka when Mm. the senior squad were there mid-year. England... Next year, you know, I like to think they'll find a way to have an A tour happening at the same time. Sure. I mean, Australia won't play warm-ups against county teams anymore. They'll just have to play No, that's right. So the last couple of rounds of the Shield, uh, it's been a draw fest. So Tassie beat South Australia in Adelaide. Western Australia beat Queensland in Perth. Everyone else has been drawing. Yes. So four other draws across the rounds. Western Australia, top of the table again. West is best. Oh, they should have. Did Justin Langer is the coach. Why don't they have Justin Langer as the coach in Western Maybe Australia? Maybe he will. You know, he's on commentary this year, don't you? Really? He's going to be floating around in the. Um, oh, yeah. I saw something about the, uh, that a few months ago. He's doing seven? Yeah, I think he's doing seven. Yeah. That's 
smells strongly of a Ricky Ponting job. That one, you know. Who knows? But I think he, yeah, he'll, he'll be he'll be too busy to do a, a, a I guess a full time coaching job now. He's in the media. Yeah, but so they're they're top of the table. Queensland and South Australia, the only other teams who've actually had a win. Lots of runs going around in the draws. Just wanted to chat to you about hundreds briefly. We talked about the Ashley Chandrasinghe hundred off three hundred and thirty three balls. We only talked about ago. the fact that he was on forty odd, didn't we? I don't think we got quite got full circle to what he finally finished on. Maybe we I talked think, about it. Later. Yeah, we, we, we were mid innings, I reckon, okay. when he when he um when we last recorded a, a weekly show and pretty special stuff, right? Like he wasn't part of Oz nineteens, yeah, usual pathway. Mm. Wasn't seen. I heard Chris Rogers, or I heard Chris Rogers rather interviewed yesterday on um, on Jared Waitley's program describing how Chandra Singer doesn't really think about T twenty cricket. That's not yeah. where he's setting his stall he's thinking about being a a red ball cricketer for Mm -hmm. a long time and the fact that there's something lovely that there's room for those players still the fact that he could face 40 deliveries before getting off the mark and and all of that and and miss the pathway entirely but through sheer weight of runs for his um for his club south melbourne gets to play for victoria and who knows Mm -hmm. where he might be in a couple of years so i just want to talk about hundreds made by players who are pushing a case hands come with a couple the only player with two yep renshaw 200 not out yep. as well yep. for the century that he made to make that case. Cameron Bancroft's made a ton this season. Curtis Patterson's made a ton this yes. season. Highest test average in history, 144. Michael Nisa made 100 this season. Loves it. Nisa must play, right? JJ Pearson, the always overlooked Queensland keeper, making runs again. Mm. One day, one day someone's going to look at him. They have to. Jordan Silk, another one in that sort of category who who's never been trusted with the elevation. Um, and then hundreds for so players of the future, perhaps, in Will Sutherland and Teague Wiley as well. So it's interesting that you've had these performances from players who do actually have a case to push. Yeah, and, and on the wicket side of things, we've already discussed Steckity and, mm. and Nisa. Uh, a lot of people reckon Lance Morris is the quickest bowler in Australia. He's got 15 wickets already for, for the Whackers. Mm-hmm. Then Wes Agar, who has been kind of talked about in dispatches in recent yeah. years as being the sort of bowler who, if he does get an opportunity, he's likely to have the right skills. He's big, bustling, that kind of thing, accurate. Mm-hmm. Then Pete Siddle, the ever-reliable. Oh, yeah. um, he's got 12. Still doing it for Tasmania. Um, so there's a new round that starts tomorrow. Victorians go to Queensland. The Sackers go to the Whackers. And New South Wales go to Hobart um, for the new round that will be starting around about the time this show comes out. Very nice. Uh, the ECB have been busy this week announcing more uh, professional contracts for their women, mm-hmm. mostly in their domestic structure. So now each of the eight regions will have 10 professional contracted players, fully professional. Yep. And when you fold in all of the uh, nationally contracted players, which has been up one from 17 to 18, 98 women are going to be full-time right. cricketers in England next year. When you consider that... It was before 40, the regional structure, forty a couple, of, even even. Oh, they've they've they really ratcheted it up each season in yeah. the regional structure. So you even go before that, you know, the there was the England team, and then there were spots or something, which were fourteen, I think, when they started, then fifteen, and then there was the Kia Super League for six weeks, and that was it. Uh, yep. Now this is proper. This is this is you know heading towards the system that Australia have got in place at the moment. Yeah. Um, in terms of the England contracts, which got released around the same time, Alice Capshi, Izzy Wong, Charlie Dean, Freya Kemp, Emma Lamb, and Lauren Bell get their first opportunities as senior contracted players. All of which makes sense. Um, out, uh, Fran Wilson and Anya Shrub solely retired. Lauren Winfield Hill, although I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up back on the contract list on an incremental deal at some point. Georgia Elwes. Uh, Katie George, interesting kind of story there. She's been contracted for the last three years during her rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they've parted ways with her now, but 
I think there's a way back for Katie. I hope there is. Um, and Maddie Villiers, who was very impressive when she burst onto the scene two years ago, but has fallen down the pecking order somewhat as far yeah. as finger spinners are concerned. That one's interesting, Villiers, because she really looked like yeah. player of the future. And maybe there's a way back for her. Katie George, I just always think Melissa George every time <laughs> she comes up. Melissa George is playing for England. Yeah, no, well, she, she, I mean, she's got the pace. I mean, yeah. I, I've worked a lot with Katie the last couple of years, and she's a, she's like a mm. really sensible, considered thinker about the yep. game as well as a, a fast bowler and I, I, yeah I, I, look that she's not going to fall off the radar entirely she's mm. like 22 or something like that the problem is she's had maybe she's up to three or four stress fractures now yeah and as we know from like players like pat cummins it tends to be around 24 25 when your body fully grows out of that so she's been right. doing the hard work and yeah in, in the short term frustrating for her but bigger picture she'll be fine yeah so their they, their current model was 40 domestic places wasn't it i think it was 60 last year it was 40 right. in year one 60 in year two now okay. 80 so you get a sense of that exponential not yeah. exponential you know it's steady but you know considering the, the base mm. it feels right it feels very important that they've done this because having watched a lot of england women's domestic cricket mm. up close in the last two years there is a, a noticeable gap between yep. the pay-to-play players, and some of them wish to be pay-to-play. Take, say, Carla Rudd, who's been the wicketkeeper at the Vipers for a million years. She doesn't want to be on a full deal because she has other stuff going on in their life. Right. She has a job, all the rest of it. Sure. So she likes doing yeah. that. But, but most of but them the now ACB aspire know. to be full-time pro. Yeah, they've, the managers have listened to the fact that the Big Bash, like the, the model that the Big Bash has shown, which is just how good the Australian team has become because, because. it's got 30 or 40 players it could pick from at any given time yeah. who are hardened through years of playing the Big Bash, which has 21 matches yet to play. Actually, there's a game going on right now while we're recording, so 20 after <laughs> that match is finished. You're sorry for the Big Bash this year. Oh, yeah, they got shafted. I mean, it's not their fault. It's no one's fault. Schedules are a nightmare. We talked about that with Bredo earlier, but it's had no oxygen it was never going to have any oxygen alongside a pretty bloody exciting World yep. Cup. We were, we were talking earlier about the, the stress and struggle of modern cricketers. Well, they've put on a great show and the yeah. rain that we've had in the tournaments probably helped with that as far as um, the tightness of the group stage and we've gone into yep. that in depth on, on, the, on the daily programs. But it, it's been pretty hard to stay on top of the Women's Big Bash League, which is a shame, but at least it's got its own window. That's the upside of not being alongside the men. The downside is that when it's married up alongside a major tournament like well, this, it's, it's, it, it's, no, it's a no-win situation it's for them. The, the, you know, there's, there's a bitter irony to, oh, we're going to have a standalone window and that lasts for two years, I mean, which are both COVID years, and then, oh, we're just going to jam a World Cup in there as well, you know. Yeah, and, uh, again, I'm not going to blame anyone for that. That's just the way these things go sometimes. But it has meant that... Like probably this year more than any other year, yep. it's been hard to stay on top of what's going on. Well, you've had yep. a try though, Jeff. They'll, well, I've got about 10 days worth of it after the World Cup final when people can yeah. tune in to the back end. Um, but there'll be a lot It's like of the men's 50 over stuff, right? Right. Uh, Daniel Hughes made 100 on Saturday, right? No it's one knows. A million of them for yeah. New South Wales. He's got an average in list day cricket of like 55 or something like that. But I saw Brett Sprigg, our colleague from the ABC, posted a photo of North Sydney Oval on Saturday. I mean, we're back to sort of, you know, friends and family with a crowd. Yeah. yeah, that's a Saturday competing against club cricket and so on as well. But sure. it, it's a long way off Broadway when competing against a global tournament. Well, what has happened so far? Where, we at, where we're at at the moment, you've got the Sixers, then Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth in the top four. Very yeah. even on points. Okay. 12-12-12-11, the two Melbourne teams and Hobart in the bottom four, as usual, as is traditional. There is is still a problem with um, a lack of equalisation in the WBBL. The same teams struggle year on year. Have the Stars ever made 
the finals? Yeah, one. Oh, it's once I, or twice. You know, I genuinely think they haven't. No, if I, they have it, it was once. Yeah, they made they made the top four one year. The I Gates remember. got there before the Stars did. I remember mm-hmm. that. But infrequently, right? Uh, the, I will say that. They haven't been awful. So the Hurricanes have won four games and they've got a positive net run rate. They've actually done okay. And they're they're fifth, not by a huge margin. So they're still in the hunt. It's not like they're out of it. Um, And and they've been certainly more consistent than they have the last couple of years. Stars have put up a couple of good chases while still losing games. Um, And the Renegades, the games that the Renegades have won have been those sort of mid-tier games where they need to chase 120 to 130 or they need to defend 130, that kind of situation, rather than the bigger scores, whereas it's been, you know, the Strikers and the Sixers who were the ones who've been making the big scores, Brisbane Heat sometimes as well. Sydney Thunder have gone to shit. I mean, they've been pretty ordinary for a couple of seasons now, but they, I mean... Scores under 100 multiple times this season. Phoebe Litchfield's trying to do a job. Uh, Tammy Beaumont, who's always struggled in T20s, has made one half century and then all of her other scores are 10 or less Mm. at the top of the order. So that hasn't been working. For Brisbane, you've got Dr Georgia Redmayne. Leading the runs for the tournament with 305. Got to be close to an Australia cap. Got to be close. And Beth Mooney second as always with 258. So She's been runner-up in the leading run scorers in the WBBL like five times, Beth Mooney, I reckon. Well, she's been lead run scorer probably five times and runner-up <laughs> a couple, yeah. I mean, she's she's been 500-plus per season pretty much every single time. Uh, and, yeah, Georgia Redmayne, surely close. It's like where, where does the spot come? But maybe with the Rachel Haynes retirement, yeah. that's where the spot comes. I mean, without thinking about it too deeply, that would stand to reason, yep. Adelaide Strikers, Secret Life of Katie Mack, <laughs> uh, going well at the top of the order. And this is this one's interesting. Maddie Penner has started to work as a... Uh, they used her as a pinch hitter a bit in the past, but she's actually a finisher now. She bats six, maybe five, comes in towards the end of an innings, bashes. Uh, and so those two have both made over 200 runs for Adelaide, and that's helped them a lot. But you always got to end up talking about the Sydney Sixers. And this is interesting, right? New look team. The South Africans are gone. Fanny Kirk and Cap not playing for them anymore. So they've changed their team up and they're still just all-stars. So Susie Bates has gone there. She's now opening with Elisa Healy. Elise Perry batting at three. Um, and then they've got Aaron Burns in the middle. Bates, Perry, Burns, all over 200 runs for the season. Then they've picked up Maitland Brown, thrown her into the middle order where she's batting, like throwing the bat towards the end. And they've got Ashley Gardner in the middle order as well. Gardner and Burns are the two fastest scorers in the league of anyone who's made an appreciable number of runs, more than about 100. Gardner striking 139, Burns 152. And then you've got Gardner has also taken 13 wickets. Maitland Brown's taken 12 while batting in the top six. Lauren Cheadle's back fit and taken 11. I mean, they're just hoovering them up. And then they've picked up Sophie Eccleston, thrown her in there, and she's taken 13 wickets at 13, at going at less than six and over. I mean, we're, we're, it's a bonkers you, team. You know what you're seeing here? It's the Charlotte Edwards factor. Yeah. Lottie appointed coach. Lottie, by the way, ICC Hall of Fame yeah. appointee today. Oh, really? Yep. Pretty cool. We'll, we'll talk more about that. I, I tip. Yeah. We might try and get Charlotte on, actually. Mm. There was a really nice thing where everyone has been inducted to the ICC Hall of Fame today someone close to them written them a letter and Claire Connor wrote Lottie's letter. It was really all lovely stuff, really. Mm. Um, but, yeah, a um, bit like, I suppose, with footy clubs being destination clubs where, right. as always, bringing it back to AFL. I was writing something about this today, actually, about, you know, wanting your club to be a place that, uh, that, that players will gravitate towards mm-hmm. over time. 
that's clearly what's going on with the Sixers and yep. the WBBL. And why wouldn't you want to play under Charlotte Edwards? Sure. Like, that is like that is the dream ticket. And thus why they get Sophie Eccleston coming over and going, yeah. well, that's a, that's a great fit. The bit that doesn't make sense is Nicole Bolton, who they picked up last season. But they've been using her. They've been trying to use her down the order. She's carted at six. And, and Nicole Bolton's a player who I think the, the modern game has passed by. You know, she can't score it the kind of rate that's required so she's carted at six but she's been pushed down to seven and even to eight on occasions oh, right. she hasn't been required to bat on a number of occasions Jody Hicks style when the players up the order are too good when she does bat she's barely going at a runner ball and it just doesn't fit it's just that like she's coming in late in an innings and clearly they know that she's not a fast enough scorer because they're pushing lower order players above her to come in and have a hit like Eccleston yeah. rather than bringing her in late in an innings maybe it's this a kind weird of, fit it might be a weird fit but this might kind of go to what we were describing on the Daily Show the other night with Ben Stokes and the England men's team yeah, excuse the kind have of an long policy. bow I'm about to draw here but stick with me here Nicole Bolton's been around forever and she's had some really good WBBL seasons early mm-hmm. on and usually in terms of having though. usually opening that's true yeah. but as far as having a player around the squad who's kind of been part of everything, World Cups, etc. She's like a senior pro. She's like a senior pro in that squad who will be there as an insurance policy down the list, but also mm. great person, mature head in the dressing room, that kind of thing. I can see the merit in that rather than having a... Maybe it's not, strictly speaking, in the best interest of the development of a younger player who might be able to fill that role, but purely in the interest of winning, I wouldn't mind having Nicole Bolton like in the dressing room at seven mm. if I were running one of those teams. I guess they've got a spare spot still they've kind of got the Jody Hicks spot because <laughs> because they have so many bowlers in the top order that's true that's because always the thing with the Sixers Gardner, Brown, Perry yeah. can all bowl and I mean even Bates if, if her shoulder's up to it sure. um, can bowl from the top six so that helps and the leading wicket takers no surprises Jess Jonathan at the top Amanda Jade Wellington Megan Shoot how long has it been like that in the WBBL um, so Jonathan is one wicket behind Molly Strano on the all time list <laughs> Strano's having a decent season as well but um, she's given up a lead of about five so they're 130 to 131 for all time big bash wicket takers i think this is partly a function of when the wbbl started it was a a group of players who were all starting from roughly the same point with the exception of the international so that is there there were international cricketers Mm. playing who were cut above and then there was the next generation who were trying to kind of climb their way into into international consideration they've all been on these professional contracts for years now so they might all be i'm 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 generalising here, but, you know, 27 to, to 30 in that bracket now, they're playing their best cricket. Like, there's a reason why they're ahead is because they've, they've been able to grow with the competition mm. and be at their best having enjoyed the pr- professional era. Whereas at the start of the WBBL, when scoring was lower and the older heads in the side typically were from the amateur era and weren't able to score at a cricket clip. Mm. That was quite noticeable. So... Yeah, it's, again, every year that goes by with this comp and the data that supports this, it gets better as far as the, the six hitting, the, the run rate, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, all, all of the stuff, the measurables yep. improve uh, because the comp's so bloody strong. Well, I will look forward to being able to actually watch some of it properly yeah. once we get this. Maybe when we're on the road World next Cup. week, we'll spend the night in the pub somewhere and watch whichever games on the WBBL. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's our show for today. The- the feels that way. The final word, nothing else. The final word, don't have to add anything other because it's just <laughs> the show. It's just the regular old standard midweek show with 
Jeff Lehman and Adam Collins. Looking forward to doing it all again tonight with the first semi-final, tomorrow with the second semi, then the, the big one at the MCG on Sunday or maybe Monday if the radar stays as bad as it is at the moment. Although, as we know, you never really can trust the Melbourne radar until about four hours before mm-hmm. the event that, you, that you're saddling up for. And then we hit the road. We're off to... We're driving back to Adelaide yeah. the day after the World Cup final. Yes, that's right, driving over two or three nights. I can't remember how long, but whatever yep. it is, that's our next project. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're going to stop off in some places along the way and tell you about them. Mmm, no spoilers. It's going to be good, though. Oh, also, we're going to have a final word meet-up. We've got one tonight in Adelaide. Too late if you're listening to this now to attend that. There's also hopefully going to be one on Friday. What's the plan, isn't it? We're going to try and Friday do Friday night in Melbourne. Still don't know what the venue is, but we're, someone's we're, going to tell us. Yeah, how's this sound? We will tell you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on Discord and Patreon, you'll hear about it there. Uh, and if you're not... Um, Join up. <laughs> yeah, that's a great I can't time think of how else I'm going to tell you. Join up and uh, I'll buy you a glass of wine on Friday night. Send us a, a, maybe a message on Twitter, Twitter or something like that. Or the other one, Mustard. Must, mustard. <laughs> mustard. mustard. We're, oh, we're, we're not, not doing it. Please don't make us go on. Oh, I can't do another app. I no. Too many fucking apps. All, all no we need apps. to do is just let this Elon Musk period pass quickly. We just need like him. The, like the Once he loses $40 the, billion dollars and, and just crashes out. Yeah, it'll be yeah. Liz Trust equivalent. There for a month. Fuck it all up. Yep. And then we can have someone come and tidy it all. I thought they really missed a trick by not using the trust tomatoes <laughs> instead of the letters, you know. <laughs> that would have worked. It can be a bit like Packer and Bond, mm. how he sold Channel 9 and bought it back again. You yeah. want to get one Alan Bond in your life? It, it can it. be... It can be kind of similar to that with, with Elon Musk yeah. and they can buy it back off him. Once he's lost about 40 of the $44 billion, then then he'll fire sail it. And then, you know, old mate with the weird beard can come back and buy it again and carry on as per usual. All right, that's enough from us. Uh, Patreon.com slash the final word if you want to help us keep making the show. And other than that, we'll see you very soon. Bye. I had to go away.